Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I'm Kathleen Tandy, Vice President of Global Partner and Alliances Marketing at VMware, and I'm pleased to bring you the stories and trends from our industry analysts, VMware partners, and executives. This week, I sat down with three leading industry analysts at ESG, Christoph Bertrand, John Grady, and Paul Nashawati. ESG, a division of Tech Target, is an IT analyst, research, validation, and strategy firm that provides market intelligence and insights to the global IT community. Together, we discussed recent industry trends, including cybersecurity and ransomware attacks, multi-cloud strategies, and key takeaways from this year's VMworld 2021 event. Have a listen now. This is a first for us having three guests on one podcast, and I can't wait to get into our conversation and get your take on the latest trends and challenges you're seeing across the IT industry and your take on some of the big announcements that we made recently at VMworld. But let's start with some quick introductions. I'd love it if each of you could introduce yourself and share your focus areas as an analyst with ESG. And let's go in alphabetical order. And Christoph, let's start with you. I'm Christoph Bertrand. I'm a senior analyst here. My focus is uh, what I call intelligent data management, which really covers data protection, disaster recovery, ransomware, sort of next stage for data, which is intelligent data management. And I've been with ESG for a few years. I was uh, previously in uh, hardware and software companies on the vendor side. Great. Lots of things happening in those areas of the market. So really looking forward to your perspectives there. John. Yeah. John Grady, Senior Analyst on the Cybersecurity Team here at ESG. Been with the company for about two years. My coverage is network security. So it's traditional firewall IPS, uh, Secure Web Gateway, and then some of the emerging areas like Secure Access Service Edge, uh, Zero Trust, I also cover runtime application security, so WAF and API protection and things like that. Spent some time on the vendor side at Symantec in strategy and insights roles and was an analyst with IDC for a number of years before that. That's great. And cybersecurity and zero trust and SASE and SecureEdge is hot, hot, hot. So I'm really excited to hear what's top of mind for you as well. And last but not least, Paul. Kathleen, thank you. And a pleasure to be here. Paul Nashawati, Senior Analyst at ESG. I've been in the industry for 25 plus years. I cover application and infrastructure modernization. I worked at large and small corporations. So I have the perspective of big companies, how they interact with the applications and the infrastructure, as well as small companies in the startup space. So it's really exciting, really great time to be here in the industry. And I'm happy to be here on today's podcast. That's great. Well, Christoph, John, and Paul, thanks for sharing a little bit about your areas of focus and introducing yourselves. It's clear that each of you is deeply engaged in tracking trends and challenges that are top of mind across the IT industry, from data to cybersecurity to app modernization. And from each of your perspective areas, I would love to hear from you. What are some of the big trends that you're currently seeing in the market? What's top of mind for you based on your latest research and conversations that I know you have every day with IT organizations and decision makers, and maybe even some of the the challenges that are influencing some of those key trends? John, let's start with you this time. From your take, particularly sitting across cybersecurity is hot, all the different areas that you mentioned, everybody's talking zero trust these days. What's top of mind for you and what are some of the biggest challenges that you're seeing that IT organizations are facing? Yeah, if I think about maybe the drivers that are kind of causing the change in mindset, 
the more distributed nature of the enterprise. So that goes for both workers. So I've just been dealing with remote workers for the last you know, year and a half, but now think about the hybrid work model and how you support that from a security perspective. A lot of organizations kind of made do over the first 12 months of, of the pandemic, but now they're really focusing on kind of re-architecting security stack to better address remote user needs and consistency with regards to hybrid work. And then the other piece is as apps become more distributed, I know Paul and Christoph will talk a lot about this. How do you, again, consistently secure those environments? Network security, data center security has fundamentally changed, and we're still trying to kind of wrap our arms around that. And so both of those trends have really pushed a lot of organizations towards convergence from a security perspective and kind of built-in security. So at a really high level, I think those are kind of the macro trends that I'm following. And those are exemplified by things like SASE and Zero Trust. And that's why we're so focused on those areas, because those deliver a lot of the benefits that users are looking for to help solve those problems. So we clearly know that the pandemic and the distributed workforce and hybrid workforce has been absolutely one of those key drivers as companies have been working to address that. Is that the biggest driver? Are there other drivers that are also bringing security front and center? You mentioned apps becoming more distributed. I think that's tied. Are there any other trends and challenges that organizations are facing that's also making this so top of mind for them? I think operationally, a lot of organizations still struggle with staffing shortages and, and skill shortages. And as applications have moved to more kind of cloud native architectures and models, that's one area where we still have a, a massive shortage of skills. So how do you better operationalize security? And again, that's something else that convergence can help address to an extent. That's kind of the, the next challenge down we see across a lot of our research is how do you do more with less, which is a, a struggle that most organizations are dealing with. I think that probably how do you do more with less is something that probably transcends all IT organizations across all of the different topic areas. With that, let's move on to Paul in the, kind of the app modernization area, which has been another big top of mind. John, you mentioned applications being a, a key driver in the cybersecurity area. Applications are front and center for just about every business. Paul, what are you seeing that is top of mind, both in terms of key trends and the challenges that some of the organizations you talk to are trying to tackle as they think about their app estate? Yeah, absolutely. I think John touched on a number of key, key areas that tie to applications and application growth strategies and such. What we've been seeing across the industry and what we've been seeing in our research is, and, and most specifically, we've seen a, a VM world. We saw the Project Cascade was announced. This gives the people and organizations the ability to deliver and basically enable developers in IT to do more with less, as John was saying, but also allows them to grow their microservices, that Kubernetes environment, right? So really start growing in the space. What we've seen in our most recent data that just came out, that 29% of respondents state that organizations are looking to basically deploy containers and such. But 71% of the respondents in this particular survey, which is a data protection consideration survey, stated that container-based applications are or will be deployed in a hybrid model. So these challenges of migration from their core data center to the edge, to the cloud, is really about application portability, application mobility and working with access to these spaces. John touched on a key point as well, which is the skill gap in IT. One of the things that we, we saw at VMworld is addressing that skill gap by putting technologies in place to simplify and make those approaches more easy to use or more deployable and making the quote infrastructure or the back end less complex. 
And that is allowing for organizations to be more productive and deliver more against what they're trying to achieve for their business goals. The theme of complexity is something that has come through, I think, just about every podcast I've done with every tech leader in the industry, with all of the partner executives that I've spoken with, because, of course, they are out there on the front lines working with their customers who are trying to navigate all that complexity. So I think anything that vendors can do to help drive that simplicity will be well-received because, as you mentioned, we also are going through that huge skills shortage. Everybody needs tech talent. The scope of all of the breadth of uh, how everything across tech has accelerated over the last 18 months has challenged all that. I think there's a big musical chairs going on in the industry right now, but at the end of the day, there, there isn't enough. So I know simplification is absolutely something that can help everybody in this environment. Christoph, to you and to data, which is at the core of cybersecurity at the end of the day, is managing a lot of data, looking for patterns, looking for trends. Everything is producing more. And I think we've all seen the stats about how much data is being increased every day. What are the top trends and challenges that you're seeing from your vantage point? So I think there are a few things to note. It's, yes, number one, the scale of data we're getting to deal with. That includes also everything that has supported in the infrastructure. So that's sort of the first point. And of course, that also increases the exposure to potentially cybercrime. My focus is more on the remediation side of things, the disaster recovery, how to use your backups to get back on our feet. But you could see how it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And that's really what we're saying. I believe it was Tom Gillis that said in one of the sessions, um, it may have been a Q&A, that you've stopped 1 million attacks in the past 90 days on the infrastructure. So that's ridiculous. That, that's a big number. And it turns out that what we've seen in our research is that 18% of uh, the respondents to our surveys said that get attacked every day. And then another 24% will say happens weekly. So we know there's a risk there. There's no question. So you need to have a good way to get back on your feet. You need to have the ability to recover from what would be a logical disaster should anyone start encrypting your data. But here's the thing, big wave here, uh, another big wave. So it was a first wave, lots of data. Second wave is disaster recovery. Well, guess what? It's been killed by ransomware. Now it's about cyber recovery. So the bar has been raised. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to see any announcement of the cloud disaster recovery offering that while there's quite a bit focused on disaster recovery, there's absolutely a focus on ransomware as well and ransomware remediation. So I think it sort of tells that story. And then. All of this is happening in a context of massive cloudification. And of course, there's also the impact potentially of containers in this context. And do people have the right methodologies in place to really protect an environment that has changed a bit? Not only the applications, whatever shape and, and form their infrastructure, but the data that goes with it so that you can be not only compliant, but also just in a position to resume business should anything come up. So can you follow up on that, Christoph, a little bit and talk about the difference you talked about ransomware recovery, and then there's cyber recovery. What's fundamentally different about the approaches of those two concepts? It's really disaster recovery and what I now call cyber recovery and really cyber resilience. So disaster recovery, of course, has a number of technologies you can leverage and principles and, and workflows. And in many ways, you could argue that for example, a ransomware attack is a form of logical disaster and you can follow the same steps. Well, not quite, because there's so much more complexity. You don't really know what's gonna hit you, what shape it's gonna take, it keeps morphing. There are different types of attacks. So that's why in many ways, uh, cyber criminals have raised the bar on what it takes to really deliver holistic recovery from disasters. And I really think 
that higher bar is what I call cyber recovery, because if you can recover from that, you can probably recover from anything else. Got it. But of course, I know a lot of people from what John was sharing are trying to even preempt and hope that we don't have to recover and remediate, but we can intrinsically build security in across, deploy frameworks and methodologies like zero trust, securing the edge, getting rid of VPN so that we don't let those threats in the first place. I want to use that to transition to VMworld. So we just had our VMworld conference. And one of the things that was woven throughout, I think, in just about every session, whether it was we had a security track, but we had a multi-cloud track, we had a networking track, we had tracks. And I think there was security woven through every one of those, even in the app modernization track, because securing and protecting applications is top of mind. Regu stated that this is the third chapter in VMware's evolution as a business to become the leader in both multi-cloud and apps, going from virtualization to private cloud, and now clearly all about multi-cloud. From your different vantage points, what announcements or innovations, and some of you have mentioned a couple of those already, but have really stood out to you as being transformational, as being really hallmarks of innovation, and helping to tackle and address some of the points that you've raised? And Paul, let's start with you. What stood out for you from VMworld? I absolutely loved the keynote. It was great. And what was really cool about it was our ESG research was featured in the keynote, which was really nice and cool to see that too. But on top of that, one of the projects that was announced was Project Arctic. That resonated really well with me. And the reason why is because we just came off some new research. It's 2021 research just came out in September. We was showing that 48% of respondents up from 42% a year ago prefer to use consumption-based modeling for acquisition of IT resources. And with Project Arctic, there is this way that you can deploy and modernize applications by using this new consumption model. And the, the research just is right there front and center, right? It was showing that this is what IT leaders are trying to do. This is where they're going. And this is how they prefer to consume those resources. So it resonated very well. I was pretty excited to see that. And again, the VMware cross-cloud deployment models, resources can be consumed in this preferred model is definitely the focal area for the set of research. So I was pretty excited to see that. That's great. And I think you had mentioned Project Cascade earlier also as something that stood out to you. Why did that resonate with you? Project Cascade really is the ability to put the Kubernetes and cloud-native microservices growth into motion. It really just takes it and this large explosion of growth and Kubernetes and containers and microservices and truly trying to get that cloud-native deployment for application modernization is really a big part of where organizations are going, but also to see it out of VMworld and see where Project Cascade was taking the ability to take virtualization and and in the and the multi-cloud, or we like to say distributed cloud kind of model of using Project Cascade to do that really helped enable clients and prospects and customers and partner ecosystems just to deploy that tremendous growth that we're seeing around Kubernetes and cloud native microservice applications. This might have come up in the research, but as you look at the traditional deployment models versus cloud native, how fast do you see companies making that change? What percent of applications today would you say are in traditional deployment models versus cloud native? And how fast do you think that that waiting is going to change? 
That's a great question. There's definitely an amplification and growth around applications moving to container-based environments. This research that I was referring to, 71% of respondents stated their container-based applications will be deployed on a hybrid cloud model. And because of that, really what they're trying to do is take that first leap. As VMware is going into chapter three of your reinvention, this is what a lot of businesses are doing is they're going to their maturity model of moving to the cloud. And they're trying to get from their traditional or heritage applications into the cloud. And part of that first step is to take a hybrid approach. So the portability of moving applications from your traditional infrastructure to a cloud starts with that hybrid model and starts with that distributed cloud approach. Got it. Christoph, what stood out for you from all the VMworld announcements, particularly as it relates to disaster recovery? So absolutely. I think the VMware cloud disaster recovery stood out. Lots of greatness in it. And as I was mentioning earlier, definitely a focus also on ransomware. So I think it delivers today 30-minute recovery point objectives based on the frequency of snapshots you can you can perform. I expect, by the way, this is a starting point. I'm sure that's gonna, only going to get better. With time, it's definitely uh, very, very important to note that. And, and really, this focus on ransomware is one of the big use cases. And we're talking about hybrid cloud, and I like the, the subtitle of the offering, which is this is disaster recovery being the on-ramp to the hybrid cloud. And I think it's very true. Also, I'd like to add a little bit more to what my colleague Paul was saying with the adoption of containers. As you change into this container-based environment, hybrid environment, multi-cloud, et cetera, you can't forget data protection and disaster recovery. It's interesting that in our research, we saw that 70% of IT professionals wrongly believe that they can protect their hybrid or container-based environment the same way that they can protect what they used to do on-prem, for example. So I think there's a lot of education, a lot of help, a lot of assistance that's going to be needed. And what's also stood out for me, as is the case every year, candidly, but is a show of strength, is the, the strength of the ecosystem great backup and recovery vendors. And I expect, by the way, they will probably be integrating and, and working in conjunction with the disaster recovery cloud, leveraging capabilities off of each other. So I think you take that in combination and it's really what stood out for me because the, the truth is whatever we're saying here is fantastic, but it doesn't matter if you can't get back on your feet should anything come up. And that's where disaster recovery helps. That's great. One follow-up question, Christoph, for you around, and I had actually read this in the ESG research on that, you can't protect container-based apps the same way. And I just want to ask why. What is, by the nature, what is different and how do organizations need to think about that differently and why are they missing that? First of all, there are a number of great solutions today in the market, and so they can leverage that ecosystem of partners to do that. Now, I think just like any new technology, the way it, things evolve is that you have to look at not only the data and what's persistent there, and then the environment itself. And you can't really recover everything in the right sequence unless you understand exactly what to protect. So there's a bunch of metadata, there are a bunch of components to simplify things. You can't just do things the way you used to because every application that runs on these containers may have a different way of being protected you have to really look at all of the little details. And there are very good reasons why you do that is because number one, first of all, you want to be able to recover. And everything's fun and games until you add at scale to the conversation. So you need to be able to recover the whole containerized environment itself, the whole sort of infrastructure, as well as the data that goes with it. And of course, you want to keep track of everything because there's a compliance, at a minimum, a governance requirements. So you know what happened where and when, who did what to whom. As those containers and those applications become very important from a transactional basis and essentially transactions equal dollars, 
you can imagine that the pressures are pretty tremendous. But I think it's it's getting better. The ecosystem of partners, as well as the great work you've done and through APIs as well, is helping quite a bit to take this message out. I think the market is not 100% where it needs to be. And users take time. It's normal. There's a learning process. There's an education phase. I encourage vendors and the ecosystem to keep educating people on the protection of their containerized environments. Like in many other disciplines around IT, practice makes perfect. Protect, but try to recover. See what works, what doesn't. Learn your processes. And remember, that cloud of threat still exists, even in a containerized world with cyber criminals. So that should be motivation enough. Well, threats are absolutely on the rise based on some of the statistics that you quoted about the number of ransomware attacks that are happening. And everything that you just described in terms of, which is still about complexity, complexity in application development and data makes all this more complicated. And every one of those examples just shows how the attack surface is growing and becoming greater and greater every day, which leads us to John from the perspective of, yes, we do want to recover. And it's great that we have more solutions to be able to recover that data. But we all know, and I think businesses would love to be able to help put disaster recovery out of business by not having that happen in the first place, by being able to defend against the threats coming into the environment in the first place. And I think that's where we get to you from your perspective, looking at network security, cybersecurity. What announcements stood out to you that you think are going to help organizations help protect their environments in the first place? Yeah, there were a few. And I think you can't sacrifice performance for security. We're well past that, right? So the first announcement that kind of dealt with that was the Elastic Application Security Edge and some enhancements to the NSX platform to improve kind of the scalability of load balancing and, and firewalling at the edge. And so I think that's going to help organizations ensure that they can protect their apps while ensuring availability, which has to be the first thing that happens. If the app's not available because of security, that's, that's not going to work. More of a security focus, though, is I love what VMware has done with some of the integrations, specifically made a couple of big security acquisitions with Carbon Black and LastLine. And with LastLine in particular, integrating that technology into the NSX platform for that threat visibility and network analytics, to your point, to be able to detect anomalous and, and malicious events as they occur. So you mentioned intrinsic security previously. And I really like that concept and, and the messaging there and, and the ability that VMware has to have that kind of deep content inspection and, and threat inspection across the infrastructure and circles back to zero trust to some extent, right? Not taking anything for granted just because you're segmented doesn't necessarily mean that things can't get through. So you do have to make sure that you're adequately scanning for threats and things like that. The other piece was around the Anywhere workspace. And so there's a couple pieces with this that I think are interesting and worth calling out. So relative to SASE, still a, a new and relatively emerging space. And I think VMware is coming at it from a position of strength from an SD-WAN perspective. Clearly is building out the security capabilities and, and doing so quickly and towards the areas where we see organizations you know, looking for security capabilities. So the, the big announcement here was around CASB and upcoming DLP functionality. So our research shows that over a third of organizations say those are kind of the starting points for their SASE journey from a security perspective. And a lot of organizations are looking at it from the security side of things. 
So that certainly rounds out what VMware already had from a secure web gateway and ZTNA perspective relative to the, the SASE offering. There were some metrics shared around the number of pops and what the target is as far as latency and how close to the users the expectation of getting these points of presence are, which I think is going to put VMware you know, well ahead of a lot of the competition and really deliver on something that a lot of organizations need and aren't always getting from other vendors. If you don't have those local points of presence, you're kind of right back to that hub and spoke backhaul model, uh, which is not the point of SASE. And so from a capability and, and a backend infrastructure perspective, I'm seeing a, obviously a lot of focus here from VMware and liked what I saw there. That's great. So a number of different acronyms for people. So you mentioned the Elastic Application Security Edge. First of all, we call that easy. E-A-S-E. So in the spirit of trying to simplify, we are trying to make things easy for people to secure their networks in the edge. And then let's go to SASE, Secure Access Service Edge, another acronym in this space. Talked a bit about that, John, but where are you seeing users with adopting SASE? How are they planning for it? How they are adopting for it? What types of environments? What types of businesses? I don't know. Where do you see that taking root and interest first from your research? It's still fairly early, but we did some research quite recently that we partnered with VMware on. And about a third of organizations have started to implement SASE architectures. Many more are kind of in the planning phase. The main takeaway is very few are not looking at this and starting to investigate. So get the question a lot. What type of organizations is this going to be applicable for? Are there certain industries or sizes and some may be first movers, but really based on what we were talking about before with the, the shift in work models due to the pandemic, it's something that every organization needs to start investigating. Everyone's supporting remote workers. Everyone has more and more applications distributed across cloud and on-premises environments. The key parts of SASE, from my perspective, obviously SD-WAN on the network side, but from a security perspective, getting away from VPNs, starting to consolidate things like Secure Up Gateway and CASB with a focus on data visibility and DLP capabilities. That's really what SASE is looking to do. From a, why organizations are, are looking at it, it's that remote hybrid work model we see more for a security use case. On the network side with SD-WAN, it does come down to operational efficiencies. A lot of organizations are looking at kind of better enabling those teams, optimizing connectivity. We've heard from an SD-WAN perspective, getting away from MPLS and optimizing bandwidth and things like that. Those are all drivers. It's kind of more business focused to some extent on the network side. And then security is more focused on obviously preventing attacks and limiting the attack surface and things like that. It's clear that from all aspects of the business, the edge is growing. Focusing on the edge is going to be something that all organizations need to be able to do to make sure that there are no trade-offs between security and access, but that it is secure and uh, it's going to be the edge cloud is a growing aspect and focus for us and as well as many other organizations. One of the other things that stood out to me from the most recent ESG research was I think that while cybersecurity was up there, I think it was the number two focus of organizations, at least in terms of plan spend. The number one, surprisingly, was AI. I'm curious how that, I can see absolutely how that is intrinsically connected into cybersecurity because you have to look for patterns in data and be able to identify threats. But that really stood out to me. And I was curious from all of your different perspectives, how that is as a factor related to each of your different areas of focus. And maybe Paul will come back to you from that app perspective 
what are the app modernization and application development factors that are maybe playing into this really growth in focus and uh, AI as being the number one area that companies are looking to be able to spend from an IT perspective? Absolutely. Artificial intelligence is a key area of focus, but what you're probably taking away from a lot of this conversation and a lot of just like just buzz in the industry is this common trends. The common trends that we see is whether it's core to edge to cloud, or if it's data movement, as, as we've talked about, or data protection. But a lot of what's happening is this transformation of what we used to do in, in organizations years ago is we, maybe we would have our core data center where we would process our artificial intelligence so we can actually do reporting and business analytics back at the core data center. And all of the edge locations would send their data back. But the reality of it is, is data growth is substantial. It's huge, right? It's growing and it's not slowing down. And because it's not slowing down, processing data at location is key. So artificial intelligence at the edge, in the cloud, and at the core data center is incredibly important. So then the results are sent back versus the the large volumes of data being sent back. So what we see in this recent data infrastructure trends that we just put out is we showed that 28% strongly agreed and 37% of respondents agreed that managing data and data storage at the edge location is a significant burden to IT operations. Well, that data is directly related to processing AI results. Think in the terms of retail or thinks of in terms of hospitals and remote locations and think in terms of financial. Well, all these things are happening historically, all that data is sent back to the core and it's processed and then results are sent back. Well, now with the improvements in technology and the improvements in what we're seeing with all these announcements that are coming out, whether it's hardware or software, just ways to incorporate this information, we're seeing the processing occurring in place. And that's giving that real-time results that end users and customers are looking to achieve. So the customer journey is better if you get a better response when you're trying to figure something out. I mean, think about it. You go to a hospital, you're not feeling well, and they take an x-ray or whatever, and then they send it off, and then you get three days later. Well, in three days, you're like, what's going on? You know. <laughs> so now you can actually have that information processed in place. So that's where I think AI is really exploding. That's great. Yes, everyone wants to know now in all aspects of everything. It's all about now, and it's about instant. And I can see that as a big driver for why there's so much appetite for this, which has really changed dramatically over a very, very short period of time. Christoph, how does AI play in the disaster recovery area? As you can imagine, with the amount of data processes, VMs, uh, you name it, components of the infrastructure, and plus now all of the edge capabilities that are ramping up, there's a lot to manage. So anything you can do to automate Uh, orchestrate, automate in a smart way is going to help. Now, I'm not saying you should take away the decision uh, levers, decision points, because if you're dealing with disaster recovery, at some point you have to know whether you have disaster or not. There's plenty you can do to uh, be proactive, and I think that's where it's going to play out. It's also going to play out in the next phase of data protection, which is really intelligent data management, where you want to reuse data. You've backed it up, you've protected it. Why not reuse that data and then serve it to other parts of the organization? And I think having some level of autonomy there is going to be important. And I think in that context, AI is also going to help. There's also ML, ML, AI, there are different definitions. The point is, there's a lot we know also around the patterns and the behaviors of the data and the systems, and that can help as well. So we take that in combination, whatever you can do to simplify at scale, 
the life of the IT folks who have to protect those data assets, the better. So I think it's going to be pervasive in my space. It is definitely happening. There are great capabilities, and I would say that exists today. And I would say I expect this will be in the next probably five to 10 years, an area where we're going to see a lot more advances as applied to specific business and IT processes. It sounds like a big word, big buzzword, as Paul was saying, but really what it is, is taking a, a close look at orchestrating, automating, understanding complexity and simplifying that so that the outcome is what you want it to be. Otherwise, it wouldn't be very intelligent, would it? Well, I want to connect this back to another topic that I think a number of you mentioned, which is also the skills shortage. I can imagine that anything that you can do to automate, orchestrate, and simplify, organizations are going to be interested in being able to do it real time more quickly because they don't have the staffs, they don't have the skills to be able to keep up. So again, about automating and, and orchestrating to be able to simplify could potentially help address, they, they don't have the people to do that. John, are you seeing that as a trend also in the security space or is AI really at the core a way to help identify all those patterns of behaviors and identify threats? I was going to say it's both what you mentioned at, at the start of the question from a threat detection perspective, and then I was going to kind of piggyback on what Christoph said. It, so it's both in my space. So, you know, we've seen an evolution from signature-based detections to things like sandboxing. And because there's a human at the other end of the attack chain, we have to continue to up-level our technologies. And so AI, ML certainly plays a role from that perspective. But yeah, exactly. As you, you laid out, there's fewer people are not skilled. So anything you can do to better enable them, take routine manual tasks off their plate, present them with recommended policy matrix that they just check and hit okay, as opposed to them having to decipher what workloads should be talking to what other workloads and what users should have access. Using intelligence to build that out makes their lives much easier. There's a lot of use cases in, in security. Kind of talked about zero trust and sassy those being buzzwords and getting a lot of industry focus, but AI ML is certainly right up there in our space as well. A lot of vendors starting to try to message on that and differentiate off of it as well. So Paul, you mentioned how exciting it was for you to see the ESG research front and center in our keynote at VMworld. And that was a very, very significant body of work for all of you. I know that had a lot of really interesting insights and takeaways. I really enjoyed diving into it and dissecting it. But I would love to get your take on what were maybe some of the key surprises or ahas for you that came out of that big body of work. And Christoph, maybe we'll start with you. From my perspective, I think it's not so much the surprises, but the confirmation of all the trends we've identified and all of the initiatives you've actually announced. This extreme cloudification and multi-cloud hybrid world we live in, it's the containers. So I think it's more about what the next step is. And if there is one surprise, unfortunately it isn't one, it's the fact that there has been an acceleration uh, because of the pandemic of a number of inherent trends that we have observed in, in all of our different spaces, in John's space, in Paul's space, across the board. The acceleration of digital transformation may have been the biggest surprise for me, but that was not because of the research. It was because of the, the actual evolution of the economy and the situation everybody was in. And that has changed the dynamics and the priorities. I wanna also mention the fact about this conversation about the skill set. 
because there is automation or because we're going to be looking at making some tasks, mundane tasks, more automated and, and sort of remove that from the plate of many IT folks, it doesn't mean that the skill sets won't be lacking in the future. You still need to be very smart to design and understand the technology to architect the right type of solution and to re-leverage uh, the right ecosystem of partners and the right components. So I think that's one of the additional thoughts when you look at the event and the announcements overall. I don't think we would have seen this event if we hadn't had 2020. It would have been different. And maybe for me, that's not a surprise, but a takeaway. No one would have predicted this, but the level of acceleration that's happened to me is really pretty amazing. Unfortunately, with all of the trends we've seen, there's so much exposure that it, it makes business resumption, data protection, a very big thing. What would have it looked like if you hadn't had this impossibly crazy acceleration of digital transformation because of a pandemic? This was the 0.01% probability that actually played out. Observations that I've heard in just about every conversation that I've had, which is it absolutely has accelerated the pace and everything that companies were holding off doing, they were thrown into the deep end. They didn't have a choice. It made it happen. John, what either surprises or big takeaways stood out for you in the most recent ESG research? Unfortunately, going to kind of follow up on what Christoph said it. The acceleration, the adoption of cloud, it probably shouldn't be surprising, but just I don't know if we have a stat on this or if it's more kind of anecdotal kind of commentary, but organizations shoving five years of, of DX into 12 months, right? And what that just means for IT from one end to the other. And so for regards to what I cover, how quickly SASE has gone from being this interesting, forward-looking storyline to now the default strategy that everyone's planning for. And then looking at it from a, a vendor perspective and looking at how VMware has transitioned from being kind of a cloud and data center security company to now a key player in edge. And when I say edge, I mean kind of what used to be the perimeter from a security perspective, but perimeter user security side of things is, is really amazing. I don't think we were at this pace of innovation 18 months ago, but we were forced into it. So, Absolutely. Paul, I'd love your thoughts. I think there's a lot to unpack here. If we take the research, which was a tremendous amount of work and a lot of data in that space, but just to kind of piggyback off what my colleagues have been talking about, one point to call out is DX or digital transformation. There's been a lot of digital initiatives, of course, but accelerated by 2020. But now's the time to realize what those digital initiatives, how they're being monetized. So when you look at those digital initiatives and what you did in 2020 as an organization, are they turning into business results? And that's what we're exploring on this next wave of research that we're trying to show this digital experience platform and what that means to this digital initiative. So that's one takeaway that I think it's important for us to, as a, just a general industry, to understand we could throw a lot of money at, at a project, but are we monetizing against our business goals? So that's part A. Part B, the thing that I wouldn't say this is surprising, but this is aligns to the skill gap question. One thing that came up in my 2021 HCI research that just came out literally in October, it was 48 to 52% in organizations hiring IT generalists to IT specialists. And if you think back just not too long ago on the infrastructure side, you had 
organizations hiring a storage admin, a virtualization admin, a network admin, a this admin, a that admin, all these different admins, right? And now vendors are producing solutions that are easier, faster to deploy, so you get faster time to value and have an IT generalist to do the deployment. That's really kudos to VMware and, and vendors that are doing this. That's a really, really powerful statement in that space. But the thing that was, I guess, surprising is how fast that skill gap is increasing. And I think it really does put a challenge on partners and vendors. So the partner ecosystem really has an opportunity to be that service delivery partner to work with their customers and deploy the solutions because of that skill gap. So those are the things that kind of came out of the research. I really love to double click on all of this information. We, I know we only have a short amount of time here, but it's, uh, it's really exciting. It's really interesting. You can see these trends just happening, but definitely look into A, monetizing those digital initiatives and B, looking at that skill set gap. Great. I appreciate the perspective. Also, the comments on our partners, because we certainly see partners playing critical roles in helping to provide those skills and that expertise, both combining the generalist and the specialist perspectives, depending on if they're a more focused partner versus if they cover the entire stack and have the breadth of practices. Although I know that a number of those partners are having to really hold on to their benches and are really focused on making sure that their strong quality of life and employee engagement programs, because that talent is critical because everybody wants it, as you mentioned. Paul, appreciated your comment on are companies realizing, are they monetizing? Are they achieving the business outcomes they want? Because one of the other trends that I've seen, which I think is also a driver of the use of cloud, is that I'm seeing a shift as I talk to people in customers focusing more on not just building the technology for building it. For years, we've been focusing on building it. It's more focusing on using it. How are they using it to drive business outcomes? How are they realizing the benefits? And I think that's one of the drivers of the consumption model as well. We don't care about owning the infrastructure. We just want to use the infrastructure. And, and Paul, I see you nodding your head. Is that resonating also with what you're seeing? No doubt. The biggest factor here is businesses and organizations are pivoting away from the next widget, the next fastest thing in the tech world to business results. They're really focusing on the technology in the back is incredibly important because it solves the problem of what the business is trying to achieve, but it really does come down to the business result. And that consumption model, I couldn't agree more. Our research, I talked about it earlier, our research is showing that IT leaders and IT professionals are looking at and they prefer to have resource consumption by consumption model because they can ebb and flow as they need to. They can turn things on, turn things off, and then address line of business requests very rapidly without having to worry about standing bits and bytes up in the back end. They can stand things up relatively quickly. And because that infrastructure is somewhat transparent to delivering those results. I think if there's one word that comes out of our entire conversation today, I think I'm hearing speed. The speed at which everything is accelerated, the speed with which our companies need to respond and adapt, the speed with which they need to respond to the markets and this evolving economy that, that we're all seeing. So we are getting to the end of our time together today, and I'd like to close with this. Out of all the announcements that came out of VMworld, out of all of the trends that you saw with your research, out of all of the challenges and the market evolutions we've discussed today, if you had to choose one 
that you wanted our listeners to, well, I know it's a really tough ask because you all know so much about so many things, but if there is one key takeaway that you would like to leave with our listeners or you would like them to consider, I'd like to know what you think it would be. And John, let's start with you. I'm going to try to answer it this way and hopefully it, it, it does it justice. I would say that there's kind of a transition point in the areas that I cover. And as we said, I think a lot of technology is similar, but VMware is absolutely kind of moving where the puck is headed, has, you know, I think great vision for how to address these problems. Probably didn't do it enough justice, but that intrinsic security message, I think, is more important than ever. And that that came through in a lot of the VMware announcements. I think the challenges that we've seen in our research can help be solved through that. And so that's really what stood out to me. Great. Christoph. So I'm, I'm going to be partial because I focus on protection of data, disaster recovery, et cetera. So for me, for sure, the VMware cloud disaster recovery upgrades and changes got a lot of my attention, as well as, of course, some of the ecosystem partners we mentioned still being front and center and participating in what is really a collaboration or a team sport to protect data and help business resumption. But the truth is, uh, very much like John suggested, I think there is uh, fundamentally, it's not one individual announcement that makes the show or makes things move forward. It's really having the different initiatives in different phases of maturity and different parts of what they help end users with. So for me, it's really this modernization. We went from talking about infrastructure and the cost of infrastructure and the management to how you can now leverage it to return a business value. And that's really what this is all about. So to me, that's the most important chasm to cross. And this is definitely where the conversations are going. And of course, there are underlying technologies to support that. Tanzu, disaster recovery, and the various projects to help with the usability, the consumption, the multi-cloud nature, the edge. But at the end of the day, it's about supporting the business. So for me, a bit myopic in my attention here with disaster recovery, but I think we're really in a very different type of conversation now where we're truly seeing the partnership between vendor and end user for the business versus just the technology. And that's very important. And I think that's related to some of the other topics that we touched on. So with that, Paul, I'm going to give you the last word on uh, key takeaways. Well, I'm going to take kind of a little bit of an easy way out, and I'm basically going to say that the distributed cloud or cross-cloud services that VMware is promoting and announcing during this VMworld and the projects that are associated with it definitely tie back into application modernization. It ties into the infrastructure modernization ties into what my colleagues have been talking about across the board. So I think that the cross-cloud focus really makes it simpler, easier, and faster to deploy. And that's really what businesses are looking to achieve, those business results. And again, with the appropriate technology to support those business goals. That's great. Well, Christoph, John, and Paul, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing a truly comprehensive assessment across the full range of technology trends and insights with our listeners, our partners, and customers. These are truly transformational times in the technology industry, and it has just been great getting each of your perspectives from your different areas on what are the challenges, what are the trends, what are you seeing that is inspiring, and helping our customers deal with this acceleration, deal with this complexity, to be able to realize some true business outcomes in this ever-changing world. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
And we're back. What a great conversation. If you missed VMworld 2021, or you attended but want more, please visit vmware.com backslash VMworld to access the on-demand video library, where you'll find hundreds of sessions from global thought leaders, subject matter experts, customers, partners, and IT professionals. To learn more about ESG and the research we discussed, please visit esg-global.com. Please subscribe, follow, and review VMware Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware's partner programs, please visit PartnerExecutiveEdge at VMware.com. I'm Kathleen Tandy, and thanks for listening.